Children's Church, kids with the fifth grade can make your way to Children's Church. Everybody else, if you would turn to Luke chapter 16, please. Luke 16 in your Bible. I'm walking by faith that God has something amazing that he wants to do, not just through the worship, which has been a blessing to me, but also, also through our time in his word. Last week, I asked our church family, gave a challenge, and there was an end goal. I want it to not be uncommon for us to share our salvation testimony. You Lord willing, and it's my prayer that you have a story of when you came to Jesus Christ, when you had an understanding, not only that did God create you and love you, but that you have been separated from a loving God because of your sin. And if you have discovered the wonderful sacrifice of Jesus Christ, if you have been, um, had in your life an opportunity to accept Jesus as your Savior, I challenged people to share their story with others with the intention of hearing the other person's story. So it should be a blessing to you to share how you came to Jesus Christ, but I want you to be encouraging others to hear their story as well. I had a woman approach me after the service, and as we were talking, she said, well, you asked all of us if we would share our story about coming to becoming a Christian, but you didn't share yours. And so would you be willing to share that with me? And I shared that with her. And leading up to this coming Sunday, I thought, well, I wonder if it would be appropriate for me to share my story with the church family. And so I'm going to do that in just a few moments. I wanted to get some crowd participation before I do that and before I pray, actually. But I wonder how many of you have been through one of the following situations. I wonder, and I'm going to ask you to raise your hand, hold it up just for about three or four seconds, and we can look around. If you are a person who has, had, who has had some real struggles with doubting your salvation, you've had doubts about salvation, would you raise your hand, I see, all over? Okay, put your hands down. It might get a little bit less, it might get more, I'm not sure. If you are a person and you were raised in a Christian home where you can't remember a time when you didn't know the story of Jesus, you didn't believe in Jesus, you honestly can't remember a time when you didn't understand about Jesus Christ and who he did. You've, you've known it that long, long with me. Okay, a lot of you raised in church. Okay, I'm in that group too. How about this one? If you are a person who has witnessed to either a friend or a family member repeatedly, and by that I mean to the point where they are tired of hearing is anybody else in here in that in that category okay a few hands going up all right don't feel bad about that okay we'll talk about that in a few moments how about this one here if you're a person who thinks we need more hellfire and brimstone preaching how about that anybody got their hand up i knew i okay i knew some of you i knew it was coming i hear that every once in a while i don't take it personally so need some more hellfire and brimstone preaching if you fall into any of those categories it's my thinking that today's message might be an encouragement to you. Before we jump into Luke 16, I'm going to share some testimony with you. And before I do that, I'd like to ask you to pray with me one more time. Abba, Father, the one who knows me as your son, 
I praise you for that relationship. I praise you for my story. I praise you for the confidence that I can have here in this world that if today were to be my last day or if Jesus were to come back and return in the clouds today, that I would have a security of fellowship with you forever. I thank you for that. I thank you, Heavenly Father, for the teachings of your dear Son. And as we look at something that Christ taught that would not be a seeker-friendly message, I would ask that you would clearly be involved, the Holy Spirit, be among us, working on hearts individually, working on me, that I not get in the way of the message that you would want said today. We pray all these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. In 1966, there was a funeral that took place in the wintertime, early in 1966. There were five brothers that sat on the front row of a funeral home, and as those five brothers sat there side by side, they were there to attend the funeral of the sixth brother, six boys. As they sat there and attended that funeral, they had different feelings and different emotions. There was one person in particular that heard the message that was given on that day and it would change his life forever. Let me rewind a little bit and tell you about why they were at that place, the funeral. The one brother who had died was going through one of the worst times of his life. He was an alcoholic. He had been divorced two times and now his second wife, was afraid to spend any time with him, and they had a little boy, around one years old, maybe two, and now he's not going to be able to see his son. The gentleman's name was Webb, and as Webb was going through a tough time in his life, he tried to figure out how to solve this problem. This is what we do as men. We do whatever we can to try to fix it ourselves. He had come to the end of his resources he couldn't do anything uh, to get himself any more happiness or joy. And so he talked to his ex-wife, Dorothy, and said, would you be willing to meet with me? Well, Dorothy was afraid of her ex-husband. She didn't want to meet with him. So she said, I will meet with you if we can meet in a public place and if I can bring a friend with me. And so Webb went and met Dorothy in a bar in Danville, Illinois. And as they met there in that bar, um, the conversation didn't get any better from his side. And as they talked, she got up at one point to go to the bathroom in the back of the bar. And as she came out, she discovered that Webb had stood up and went to be next to her. And as she walked out, Webb put his arm around her and they took out a gun. And he shot her and killed her there in that bar in Danville, Illinois. After he did that, he took the gun and he turned it on himself. Webb shot himself, and he died. It was a murder-suicide that took place. The brothers on the front row and the mom didn't have any association with the church. The father was actually in the VA hospital drying out because he was an alcoholic as well. One of the brothers had visited Sunday school a couple times. And so he knew of a church, he knew of a pastor, and he asked a gentleman named Morris Gritton if he would officiate the funeral. This is a funeral for a murder-suicide that took place for someone that he did not know very well. 
As Pastor Gritton agreed to officiate that funeral, he preached from Luke chapter 16, which is the passage that we're going to look at today. In Luke 16, toward the end of the passage, we actually find the request of a man who is in hell. He is in torment, and he's making a request, almost an argument at one point, where he says, will you send Lazarus to go from where you're at in paradise and go back to preach? Because I have five brothers that are back in that place, and they do not know about this place. And if someone were to go, rise from the dead and go to preach to them, certainly they would believe. Jack was one of the brothers sitting on that front row. And as Jack heard that message, here's what his thoughts were that day. My brother Webb is probably in hell, and I'm heading to hell too. While Jack was sitting there, he had these thoughts He had these fears, and he had questions. The day before at the visitation, Pastor Gritton asked him, have you been born again? And this guy said, no, what what is born again? Pastor Gritton said, we'll talk later on about that. About a week after the funeral, Pastor Gritton knocked on the door of Jack's home, and he answered the door. And he said, I've been wanting to talk to you. And Jack said, I've been wanting to talk to you too. Get in here. Let's talk this through. And the pastor came in and Jack was saved that night. Jack is my uncle. My Uncle Jack's story is that he heard a message about hell. He was afraid that he was going to hell. And so he asked God to forgive him. If we can fast forward... Uh, A few months, maybe three or four months later on, Jack had been saved. Jack had gone to, started going to church regular. Jack worked with two of his brothers, one brother named Donnie, one brother named Jerry. They would do roofing and they would do painting together. And Jack, at that point, not as his job or vocation, but as his conviction, became a preacher. And so he was on the job preaching to these two brothers of his As he would talk to those brothers, the youngest brother, Jerry, the youngest of the six boys, he heard this, and Jerry got sick of it. He got so tired of hearing about this. You're going to hell. You need to follow Jesus Christ. You need to get saved. This is what you need. To the point where Jerry said, I don't want to hear it anymore. But the gospel had been given. The invitation had been given. And as the Holy Spirit was working in the heart of Jerry, he found himself one night with his friends at a bowling alley. And as he was sitting there, he had been thinking about this and thinking about this. His brother Jack had said, if you were to walk out of that bowling alley and cross Harrison Street and get hit by a car, you would go to hell, Jerry. And he sat there when it was waiting for his turn to go up and bowl. And he tried to remember, what did he say I had to do? What did he say I've got to do? He had heard it many times. And so he sat there in that bowling alley and he prayed and asked God to forgive him of his sins and for Jesus to be his Savior. Jerry is my dad. And his story has to do with a family member that would not give up on witnessing to him, even when he had refused it several times. 
And I say, praise the Lord for that tenacity. I want to share another story with you. It's about Jerry's wife, my mom. Her name is Cleline. And Cleline wasn't quite sure what to think. Of course, we're just a few months in the wake of this murder-suicide in a small town like Danville. Uh, the name Lazelle was in the papers pretty regular after that. People would remember that name 30 and um, uh, 35 years later, that name Lazelle. I know that name from somewhere. And they had seen it in that murder-suicide from so long ago. And so she's figuring out how to deal with this. She's figuring it, trying to figure out how to deal with this husband who now is saying, let's go to church. What should we do? And so she, trying to be a good wife and wanting him to be a better person, says, well, I guess I'll go to church with you. Well, I'm not sure if it was the first Sunday or second Sunday, but when Jerry was there, at the end of the service, they would have an altar call invitation. And you come forward if you want to pray about anything or if you want to get saved. And as they had that altar call, my dad went forward and my mother went along with him right up to the front. And my dad had been saved at the bowling alley. That was his story. And my mom got down there to the front and Pastor Gritton said, have you been saved? Just like that. She was taken back a bit. It's a yes or no question. Yes. Would you like to get baptized and join the church? Yes. My mom was not saved. She didn't have an understanding of the gospel. She didn't know what was going on. And yet, she got baptized. She became a member of that church. And my mom's story is this. As she was coming to church week after week, the conviction of the Holy Spirit was clearly working in her heart. And the preaching of the Bible, the gospel message, very clear, no mistaking it. My mother had a background in a, a cult that really preached good works in order to uh, please God. And as she came from this background of trying to do more and more, she constantly doubted, constantly doubted. She wasn't really saved, and so she would pray a prayer, God save me. She wasn't sure. She was actually driving her car on South Gilbert Street near the McDonald's there in Danville. And she said, this is ridiculous. I understand what to do. And all these doubts I'm struggling with, and it was at that point while she was driving, and I'm told she kept her eyes open, that she prayed and asked God to forgive her of her sins and made sure that she was a child of God. Cleline is my mom, and even though she had been baptized, had become a member of a church, she was not saved. But she was convicted by the ministry of the Holy Spirit and eventually accepted Christ as her Savior. When it comes to my story, I, I've, over the years, tried to um, develop the best way of telling people this. Sometimes I'll have a little bit of fun with it, with some, with some humor. Um, I was with Nathan Barrett, who works with our teens years ago, and he said, when did you get saved? And I said, I really don't know, just like that. And I was having a little bit of fun with him, but there is a bit of truth in the answer as well. When I grew up, there was a large emphasis on a, a sinner's prayer, a time where you're explained the gospel and a time where you can go and you can pray and ask God to forgive you. And I had a time where I did that. It was the same night as my brother 
on church on a Sunday night, and he came out and said, I got saved. And I said, what's that? Well, go in there and talk to that big guy in there. And so I went and talked to Pastor Molnax, and I don't have much recollection of it at all. I kind of trust that he walked me through some verses probably from the Romans road. And he said, well, Jeremy, if you want to do this, repeat after me. I probably even repeated some words after him. But I don't have much recollection of that. And so if that was all I had, I might be a little bit nervous this morning, wondering about my eternity. There's also an emphasis where I grew up on a time for brokenheartedness over the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. There are many that have a testimony that they got saved, they came to Christ when they went to a Christian camp. I can remember at the age of 12 years old going to camp, and I can remember a gentleman named Jerry Silver. And as Jerry was preaching, he was very animated, and he preached through the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And he, 39, 39 stripes, with all of his energy, with all of his emotion, everything that he had, And in that Christian camp setting, I was reduced to tears. And I can remember going and sitting next to a tree and saying, God, maybe you've said something like this, if I'm not saved, would you save me? I can remember being broken over my own sin, broken over the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. For many people, there's also an importance of a time of conviction. This is a time of getting serious about Jesus Christ And I can recall when I was 17 years old in my own bedroom, no sermon that led to it, nobody talking to me. I believe just the Holy Spirit working in my heart, convicting me about the seriousness of following Jesus Christ, which everybody has to come to that place where they get serious about following Christ, especially you second-generation Christians or third-generation Christians. That song that we used to sing when I was growing up, the things I used to do, don't do them anymore. Well, that didn't apply to me. I didn't have to give up my smoking and my drinking and my chewing and and all that other stuff that they told me to stop doing. I didn't do any of that. But there has to be a point where it's very personal for someone. And so when I jokingly say I don't know when I got saved, please take that with a grain of salt. Take it with an understanding of what I do know. I do know the truths of the gospel, that I, Jeremy Lazell, am a sinner. I was born a sinner, and I sinned by choice. Because of that sin, Jesus Christ chose to leave heaven and come down to this world. And as he came down to this world, he did so many wonderful things, including the sermon that we're going to look at in just a moment, the lesson. But the greatest thing that Jesus did was he died on a cross so that Jeremy Lazell could have a home in heaven, have assurance of fellowship once again with the Father. And I'm confident that I'm forgiven of my sins today. John 5.24 is a verse that stands out to me that helps me with this, even I can't, though I can't remember a day or maybe even the right year. John 5.24 says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He has not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. That's my story. As I talked to my mother and my father and my uncle Jack, the message was clear. Please don't give any praise or glory to me. 
It's not about me. It's about God. And if you're a critical thinker, if you could start to imagine the millions of things that have to take place for each of these to happen, and yet for God to save one that He loves, it's as easy for Him to do those millions of things to bring one sinner to repentance as it is for you and I to breathe. And He loves us so much, this is His plan for men and women to hear about the work of His Son. If you're in Luke chapter 16, what we're going to see today is we're going to see two contrasting characters. Two characters that are opposites here in this world, and then they are opposites in their experiences following death. I'm going to read verses 19 through 31. It's a little bit lengthy, and then we'll just refer back to it as we continue our time. So Luke chapter 16, starting in verse 19. There was, this is a sermon, this is a a message that Christ preached, this was a story he told. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came And licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish." And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, send, send, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers so that he may warn them, lest, also, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead." And so we have two main characters in this story that Jesus would tell. We begin with the rich man, and we have some description of him. I think it is right and fair to say that the rich man man could be described as flamboyant. The clothes that he wore sent a message that he was a man of wealth and position. The feasts that he would have daily 
for family, for friends. I have to believe for his five brothers. The feast that he would have sent a message that he was well to do. And then we have the contrast. This very, very poor man, Lazarus. And not just poor, like you would think of poor. Understand this man. He had no other way of eating except for to beg. He didn't have some kind of a support system in his family. The only way he was going to eat was to beg for food. He was stationed outside the rich man's house. And as he chose that place, the Bible describes him further in that he had open sores. The dogs would come and and lick those sores. It's a graphic picture. There are some translations that say he begged for crumbs. Others say he begged for scraps. One interesting way of looking at this, and a couple uh, different teachers have this same feeling, one way of looking at this is that people in those days, we understand they did not eat with utensils, right? They didn't eat with a knife and with a fork. They would eat with their fingers. And so when their fingers were all sloppy and messy and juicy, they would take some bread and they would clean their hands off with that bread, and then they would discard that underneath the table. And that could be something for the dogs to eat. That might be a good way for us to look at Lazarus. Literally, just wanting the scraps, the garbage, so that he can make it to the next day. As we look at this picture that Jesus paints of these two different men, we now find something that they have in common. Did you see what it was that Lazarus and the rich men have in common? They both die. This is something that everyone in this room, everyone hearing this message has in common. It's running 100% so far on the human race. Every one of us will eventually die. That's what they had in common. And I'm sure Lazarus was thankful that that was all they had in common after that. The Bible tells us they both go to the same place, a place place called Hades, And this is an interesting study. And by the way, I mention every once in a while that the devil wants to take um, all these things that are before us, including Bible teaching, and get us arguing about the details. You can argue whether this was a parable or not. Good men disagree on that. You can argue about Abraham's bosom, Hades, paradise. But I want to just encourage you. I I want to challenge you to go ahead and study it through. Know the best that you can as you look at this story, but don't miss the forest for the trees. Don't allow yourself, are you listening? Don't allow yourself to get so distracted on whether you're debating whether this was a parable or not that you miss what it's really about. What it's really about is two men died, one went to heaven and one went to hell. That's what this is about. So allow yourself to be pulled back to that important message. I will say this, as I study through it, and I I don't think it's a parable, could be, but I'm not um, convinced of that because typically the Bible does not use proper names in parables. And most of the time it says when it's a parable, this is a parable. We don't find that here with this story, but you study it out for yourself. As I look at it, I see that prior to the death of Jesus Christ, so when we look at this area of Hades, prior to the death of Jesus Christ, all men would die, all all men would go to a place that was the dwelling place of departed souls. 
Everyone that died, went, their soul went to a dwelling place. In the Old Testament, it's called Sheol. In the New Testament, it's called Hades. And after the sacrifice of Christ, whenever you find this word Hades, it's always synonymous with hellfire and torment. But before Jesus died, we see it was a dwelling place for the souls. All right, I don't want to get too much into the detail, but I would challenge you to jump into it and study it for yourself. For our purposes here, we find them both going to Hades, but there's two different compartments. One is a place of torment for those who did not have faith in God, and the other is a place of paradise. And that name might ring a bell, that word paradise for you. I'll reference that in just a little bit. Paradise would be for those who did have faith in God. Lazarus is said to have gone to Abraham's side. And just as there was a vast contrast in their lives, now there is a huge contrast in their eternity, in their afterlife experiences. And what I want for us to do today is not talk so much about heaven, which I admit is a more pleasant topic, but I want to learn from this story some things that we see about hell. If you're taking notes, I'm going to give you some things that we learn about this place of torment That is the place where those who do not have faith in God will spend eternity. Number one, these are some of the details that we see from the story we read. This is a place of horrific pain. It's a place of torment where there is a flame. It is a place where there are multiple kinds of pains. The rich man asks Abraham if Lazarus, what's the first request? Did you hear what it was? Can he just... Dip his finger, one drop of water, and come and cool my tongue to help me with this torment. And so right away, we see the anguish, and right away, we know that he wants some kind of relief from that pain. A few other things that aren't quite as detailed, or aren't quite as important, but we see some details, is there is seeing in this place. Where the rich man was at, he could see Abraham, he could see Lazarus in this section called paradise, which I don't think is there anymore, but there was seeing. Also, we see that there is speaking that is going on. He clearly has a conversation with Abraham. He gives him a request. In this place of torment, there is hearing that is taking place. He hears the rebuke of Abraham And how Abraham reminds him of his time when he was in the world. And that leads us to the next thing that we learn about this place. There is memory. There is remembering that is taking place. I've I've heard the question before. It's a common question. Do you think we'll be able to recognize each other in heaven? I think it's a good question. But I think the answer is pretty simple. Do you think we're going to be less knowledgeable when we are in heaven than we are here in this world? I think we'll know one another while we are in heaven. And I think the memories of this one were vivid. He recognizes Lazarus. He recognized that was the guy that used to sit outside my gate. There's a few different reasons for why people, what, what people thought he might have been thinking. Maybe he sees Lazarus as a potential servant. Maybe he was the last guy that would have gotten into paradise over there. Or maybe he viewed his generosity giving Lazarus his scraps and so now Lazarus can come and be generous to him. 
For whatever reason, he recognizes Lazarus and he remembers how he used to give him his scraps and now he wants the favor returned. He remembers Lazarus. Next, we see there's a request for mercy. Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And I'm going to talk about it a little bit more in a moment, but let me just say now, while it's fresh, it's too late. There is no opportunity for mercy once he had died and gone to this place. And then the last one is interesting, and it might get your wheels turning when you try to understand it. He actually, when he realizes there's no chance for mercy for him, he actually has compassion for his five brothers who are likely heading for this place of torment. And so for individuals who think, they jokingly say, well, I want to go to hell. All my friends are in hell. We're just going to have a great time there. Let me give this challenge that there is no mercy in hell. There is no relief from this pain. And the people that are there would ask for a miracle to happen for ones that they know and love so they don't have to go to that place. He said, would you let him rise from the dead? Surely, if someone were to come back from the dead, they would listen to that message. There's a lot that we do not know about life. It's quite a bit that we don't know about death. It's quite a bit of a mystery in many ways. There are several things that we don't know about the afterlife. But there are some things that we do know for sure. If I can take you back to that funeral that my father and four of my uncles were in attendance at, those five boys served as pallbearers with one other to carry that casket out. My Uncle Webb was not in that casket. That was just a shell. That was just the skin and the bones. The real person, his spirit, had left He never had a story that he knew Jesus Christ or had asked forgiveness, had gotten saved. And so that's why Jack said to himself, Webb is probably in hell and that's where I am heading to. We need to understand that when our bodies are placed in the grave, that is not the end. I've heard the expression soul sleep a couple times in the past week where some people think that when some die, there's just nothing left. There's nothing more of them. Soul sleep. If they didn't go to heaven, then they just have nothing. And that is not the message of the Bible. And listen, friends, I know this is a harsh, harsh message, but do you know who taught this originally? It was Jesus Christ, right? Jesus Christ did not avoid the topic of hell. And I think we should follow that example. It seems to me that the world freely uses the word hell. And they will freely say to people, go to hell. And on the opposite side, so many Christians have taken that word out of their vocabulary. It's unkind. That's not what we want to lead with. I don't want people just to be getting saved because they were afraid to go to hell. I asked my Uncle Jack that question. So you prayed and asked God to save you just because you were scared to go to hell. He said, yep, just like that. And as a pastor, 
as one who wants to see folks come to Christ in our church, in our community, and in my family. I think, don't lead with hell. Don't lead with that. My dad sat in that bowling alley. He was afraid if he would have died, he would have went to hell. Very clearly, we need to be responsible with our teaching and not just tell somebody, repeat these words after me, and then you've got your fire escape. There is a responsibility that we have of the gospel to make sure people understand it, to know that they are loved. But we need to understand that when our bodies are placed in the grave, that is not the end. And this is why when I preach funerals, and I'll preach some of your funerals, I don't mean to get more depressed here, but I'll preach some of the funerals of you if I'm here for much longer. That's why I celebrate people that were part of Calvary Bible Church. Because inside that box, that is not that man or that woman. That's just the shell that was left behind. The Bible teaches us that to be absent from the body is to be present with Jesus Christ. That's a different um, place than this place of paradise that we read about in Jesus' teaching. So some people will think when someone dies that it's the end of their pain, it's the end of their sorrow, it's the end of their sickness. If a person has assurance that they're a child of God, that is true. But if they are not saved, then it is not the end of their pain. It is only the beginning. I mentioned earlier that prior to the death of Jesus Christ, there was this place that all people would go and there was a gulf in there as we see the description as Jesus teaches about it. And we learned that there was no leaving that place um, after a person does die. But we know that it's different for us today. After death, there is no second chance to choose Jesus Christ. But prior to death, you have opportunity to accept him. We also see that this teaching of um, Abraham's side and Hades is different once Christ rises from the grave. It was not possible before the death of Christ for man to ascend to the presence of God. This is so interesting. And if you're an Old Testament buff, you'll likely appreciate this. It was impossible for man to ascend to the presence of God prior to the sacrifice of Christ. You see, God had a system in place that was a good system, but it wasn't a perfect system. He had established a sacrificial system for his people, the children of Israel, where their sins would be covered by the blood of goats or sheep or bulls. Temporarily covered is what they were. And for the hundreds of years that people were looking ahead to a Messiah, they were wanting salvation. As they looked ahead to Jesus, we understand that they were looking ahead to a blood sacrifice that wouldn't be a temporary covering of sin, but it would actually atone for their sin. If you're taking notes, write down that word atonement. Atonement means causing us to be at one with God. And so if we can go to Lazarus, if we can go to Abraham, and all those followers of God before Christ died on the cross... If we can go to all of them, they went to this place, Abraham's side, this place of paradise, and they were wonderfully in a place where they could be comforted. 
The Old Testament saints did not experience the eternal inheritance when they died, but instead they lived their life and they died in hope of fulfillment that no one had yet seen on earth. And here's a quiz for you, class. Do you remember when Christ was on the cross and he was talking to one of those thieves that asked for mercy? Jesus said, today you will be with me, do you remember where? Where was it? Paradise. In paradise. And as we look at that, we know that when Jesus died, it would seem that he went down to paradise, to Hades. When you study Peter's writings, it tells us that he preached to those souls that were in prison there. When you go over to Ephesians chapter 4, it tells us that Jesus ascended from the grave and he led the captive from their captivity. And so for us today, praise the Lord, to be absent from the body is to be present with Christ. I will oftentimes say when someone takes their last breath here in this world and they knew Jesus Christ as their Savior, the next time they opened their eyes, they saw Jesus face to face. When Jesus was here on earth, he clearly taught that everyone is going to go to one of two places when they die. Some of you raised your hand earlier. Maybe you've got a story that you can share. If you're one who struggles with doubt about the Christian life, let me encourage you. You don't have to struggle with that. The Bible teaches us that you can know that you are a son or a daughter of God. You can even take care of that today if you're not sure. If you're driving your car and having doubts, you can do like my mom. Keep your eyes open, but then just pray and say, God, I want you to forgive me. Make me your child. Maybe you're here today and you can't remember a time when you didn't believe in Jesus. I can remember the first time I heard somebody say that. It was our tour guide on the Israel trip a couple years ago. Somebody said, Arez, when did you get saved? And he said, I can't remember a time I didn't believe. Well, here were the red flags going up all over the place. What do you mean? Nobody's born saved. What are you talking about? He was raised in a Christian home where he had always been taught about Jesus Christ. He could not remember a time where he thought that was hogwash or wasn't true. But he did share with me later on, no, there was a time when I was a young man when it became very personal and very real for me. Maybe you raised your hand earlier as far as witnessing to someone and they've said no. And they've said stop it. And they've stopped inviting you to a get-together or two. Can I encourage you? And my father, if you were to talk to him today, would say don't stop. Don't stop. Real love doesn't say let's be polite and let's just get along. If you genuinely believe that they need Jesus Christ and don't have them, be creative, figure it out, but don't stop sharing Jesus Christ with them. And then if you're one who's afraid of the word hell, can I encourage you that half of the people that I've talked about today and shared their story with, they heard about hell and they didn't want to go there. And that was a foundation for the Holy Spirit to work in their hearts for them to come to Jesus Christ. Now, I don't want you to think about hell all the time. You don't have to, all right? In fact, we're going to sing in just a moment. We're going to sing a song about heaven. Aren't you glad we're singing about heaven? We truly have something to look forward to, 
But if all God wanted you to think about was heaven, you would already be there. He wants you to think about the people in this world. And if I can take it right from Abraham's words, there's not going to be someone who rises from the dead and come to preach to your family and to your friends and to your neighbors about hell and about Jesus and about eternal life. If they will not believe you, you are still here. It is yours and mine responsibility to let them know about a God who loves them, about a place of punishment that those who do not follow God will go, will go to, and a place of eternal bliss where we will finally be able to have no more pain, no more sorrows, and the sweet by and by. Would you pray with me? Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, as we come to you, nothing surprises you and we take comfort in that. I thank you that before this world was formed, you knew exactly how Jack Lazell and Jerry Lazell, Cleline, Jeremy were going to come to Jesus Christ. I praise you for the sacrifice of your son on the cross and I thank you that I stand here today with such a confidence that if I were to die, I know which side I would be on with my Savior face to face. Father, I would ask that you would allow the message of salvation to penetrate hearts even during this time. We thank you for the sacrifice and we thank you for the gift that is free. We praise you that we do not have to work, work, work in order to earn your favor, but simply receive that free gift of salvation by asking for it. With heads bowed and eyes closed, closed, I want to give you a chance to pray. If God's been pulling your heart in one direction, don't let me distract you. You go ahead and pray. Maybe somebody on your heart, maybe a practice that you have, maybe doubts that you have. Maybe today, you would want to, even with your eyes closed while the piano plays, ask God to save you, forgive you of your sins. You can do that even during this time. Take a moment to pray.